If you would please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we will be beginning in verse 1 this morning. Now the world that we live in, the world that we live in has a, a low view of marriage. If you don't believe me, simply look at the statistics of divorce. Roughly 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. And that is not um, a, a purely atheistic or agnostic trend. That is across the board, including people who claim to be Christian. Now, there certainly is a dip in uh, when you look at people who attend church regularly. Their rate is still much lower, but there is still an astronomical rate of divorce in this country. Years back, we attempted, the, the country decided to alter the definition of marriage from one man and one woman to just two people. Now people are attempting to change it from two people to however many. If you want to be polygamous, you want to live in polyamory, you want to identify as neither man nor woman, doesn't matter. But marriage is not just a legal certificate. It's not just a legal binding, and God is clear on that. God cares much about marriage. In fact, marriage was the very first institution created God created a man and a woman and created them to be married. The first words spoken by man were of his wife and his his love for her, desire for her, her beauty. Marriage is important to God. But in the world that we live in, it tends to uh, take a back seat. Now as we begin this, I would like to uh, recall to your mind what we looked at a few weeks ago. In Mark chapter 9, just a few passages before this, verse 35, Jesus says, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. As we looked last week and as we continue to look throughout chapter 10, that verse is the core of what Jesus is teaching. So let us look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They were testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together Let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again 
about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, then she commits adultery. Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for that holy institution that you have created, marriage, the union of one man and one woman. God, I pray that whether we are married or not, we would all, each and every one of us, have a high view of marriage, a view that reflects the fact that you created and ordained it. Father, I pray that we would grow to love you more, to see the things of this earth, marriage included, as a preview of what is to come. As something to point us to you and your kingdom. God, I pray you would be glorified in all that we say and do. Glorified in every household in this church. God, I pray that we would be committed to you and your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now as we begin this, I cannot rightly speak of marriage without pointing to the gospel. Marriage is a, a representation, a, a way to see on earth the gospel. Marriage points us to the gospel. It directs us to the gospel. All throughout the, the Bible, all throughout the gospels, it references marriage. In Revelation, when it talks about the coming of the kingdom, it speaks of marriage. It speaks of the church as a bride adorned for her husband. Marriage points us to the gospel. So we must begin there today. First of all, marriage is much more than a legal document. I have seen many people say, you know, why do I need to get the government involved to, t to tell my girlfriend I love her? Why do I need to get the government involved to tell her that I love her? That's because it's not about the government. Yeah, sure, we need to fill out these documents for tax reasons and legal purposes, but it is not about the government. The United States federal government is not the, the body that created marriage. This is about God. Your marriage is a reflection of your view of God. First of all, government documents can be undone. If marriage is simply a government document, then you know, I gotta take my document into the into the courthouse, have it notarized, turn it in, pay a fee, and then I'm I'm married. Well, I can also go in and have that voided and get divorced. And it's just a, a matter of the right documentation, right? No. It is much, much more than that. 
but this low view of marriage that infects our country has, has made it just this paper, just a piece of paper. I graduated from high school seven years ago. I have friends from high school that are on their third marriage. They have a low view of what marriage is. They get married thinking, you know, oh, I've got these, these butterflies, this nice feeling inside of me, and now I don't have it anymore, so I'm just going to end it. That is a low view of marriage. But marriage is not a contract. It's not a document. Marriage is a covenant. Now, we've lost the idea of a covenant in American society. I don't remember the last time you made a covenant with somebody. You went to a business or a business meeting and covenanted with somebody that you would hold up your end of the bargain. No, we, we sign contracts. We make deals. And guess what? You don't hold up your end of the contract. I don't have to hold up mine. You let go of your promise. I get to break my promise. A covenant does not work like that. A covenant is a lifelong commitment. I know some of y'all have been married a long time. Jamie and Megan, I'm going to call you all out. You just got married a couple weeks ago, or, well, almost two months ago, actually. Um, do you remember the time frame of your vows? Till death do us part. Not till the, the warm, fuzzy feelings do us part. Not till something else new comes along. Till death do us part. A covenant is a lifelong commitment. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. That's why marriage is so special, because it's not, not like friendship. You know, I've had friends and I've lost friends. Because the way that they go in life, I, I, can't, I can't be part of that. I can't join and endorse what they're doing. And so... We've had to break off friendships. And that's okay. You can do that. I've not committed myself to them for a lifetime. But marriage is different. You're committed for a lifetime. Marriage is a picture of God's love. And just like marriage is supposed to last a lifetime, God's love lasts eternally. You will mess up, you will stumble, you will fail, and God will continue to love you. And in marriage, maybe you're better than me, but I know in the two and a half years I've been married, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, and my wife still is committed to me. And I'm sure that those of you in here can attest to that, that you have messed up, you have made mistakes, you have done wrong in your marriage, yet that is not supposed to end it. Marriage is lifelong commitment. Marriage is also a, a major act of selflessness. If you want to be happily married, you've got to lay aside your own interests. If you want to be happily married, you have to put the other first, put your spouse first. In marriage, you must be selfless. And you'll find out real quick if you truly are selfless or if you are selfish. You will find that out very quick in marriage. Marriage is an act of selflessness. 
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that wives are to submit to husbands. And people don't like that because we don't like the word submit. We tend to think of abuse and abuse of power. That's not what it implies. Wives submit to husbands as to the Lord. But then what does it tell the husbands? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for her. Not when she was perfect. Not when she was, as the Bible says, a bride adorned for her husband in pure white. Not in those settings. But when she was a sinner. The Bible says that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even as your spouse is struggling, even as your spouse is messing up, is making mistakes, loving them and showing that love to them. I always think back to the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God. He was a man of God. And God called him to marry a prostitute. So he went and married a prostitute, brought her out of prostitution, had three children with her, and then she went back into prostitution. Now, any normal person, any sane person would think, okay, cut your ties and leave. Forget her. She doesn't want you anyway. Just move on. Find another woman. But God told him, go and buy her back. Pay the price to buy her out of prostitution. So he did. He went to places where no man of God should be spending his time or his money and went and bought his wife out of prostitution. And then he prophetically speaks of God and the people of Israel saying that this is how God's love is for the people of Israel. That even though the people of Israel and today the church runs away from God and seeks out all the things of the world, even though we've been brought out of slavery and bondage to sin, that even in that, when we go back to it, Jesus does not just cut us off. God does not just say, you know what, you're lost. You're gone. God instead goes and buys us out. Brings us back to Him. That is a picture of God's love in marriage. That even in sin and brokenness and failure, the husband still loved his wife and sought his wife. That is a picture of marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. The picture here is of mutual submission. Mutually putting the other first. Wives, put your husband first. Husbands, put your wives first. Seek the Lord. Seek Him in all that you do. And pursue one another. Now, I know that this is not speaking of uh, women just staying silent, doing whatever they're told. Because there are examples of women in the Bible that are commended for not doing that. Moses, when he had a son, did not circumcise his son as he was supposed to as a Jewish man. So his wife went and did it on behalf of him. She went behind his back to follow the Lord, and that is an act of justice and righteousness. She was not just doing whatever he said. She was doing what the Lord said. 
But in a proper marriage, in a biblical marriage, the husband is to lead the wife in righteousness in the pursuit of God, and the wife is to follow and submit to the husband as he pursues God. But there is a problem that we face. We have problems in this life. That stems from one thing, sin. Sin affects every part of our lives. And so that's why we have this text here where the Pharisees come and ask Jesus, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus points them to what Scripture says. It says, they said that Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Marriage is imperfect. Marriage in this life is imperfect. If any of you have been married for any more than a week, I'm sure you are aware of this. Sometimes your husband doesn't always understand what you're trying to say. Husbands, sometimes we think we understand and we don't. That's what happens. We are imperfect. But there's also times where it's not just a miscommunication. There are times when selfishness rears its head. There are times when pride sneaks in. There's times when lying, financial misuse are also more severe times. There's abuse that happens. Sometimes there's infidelity. And those things stain the marriage. They tarnish the marriage bed. They, they ruin that bond, that commitment. When you break those vows, when you, when you allow sin to creep in. And now on the one hand, as this is a reflection of God, a reflection of the Gospel, this broken picture reminds us that even though marriage is beautiful on this earth, marriage is a good thing, we should love this, we should seek this, it is not perfect. But there is a marriage that is perfect. There is a day to come when marriage will be perfected at the wedding feast of the Lamb. When we see Jesus in eternity, the Bible says the church will be as a bride adorned for her husband. There will be no sin, no selfishness, no pride. There will be no infidelity or abuse. It will be perfect. So what we have here is a, a picture of that, but we don't have the full experience of that yet. But those failures in marriage, those times when, when it is tough, those times when it is hard to love your spouse ought to point us to what is to come. They point us to the future. They point us to what God will do. This broken picture is a reminder that right now we live in a fallen world, but we won't one day. We won't one day. Now, Jesus does say that divorce is permitted in certain times. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote to you this precept. In other words, God is not endorsing divorce. 
God does not support divorce, but he permits it at times. Those are two very different things. Two very different things. Support and permit have two very different, different implications. God permitting a man to divorce his wife in the case of infidelity, saying that, yes, that marriage bond may be broken. Broken to the point that it may not even be viable. Broken to the point that it may not be able to be restored. When you have such a, a tight connection with that person, as Jesus says that God made them male and female, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. When that is broken and pursued with someone other than your spouse, that can forever alter the marriage, and that can forever take away the unity that a husband and wife ought to have for one another, ought to feel with one another. That can forever tarnish that image. So that's why God allows for divorce in that case. But it is not a first option. It is not the goal. It is not uh, endorsed, supported. It is permitted. And there are other places in Scripture that speak of uh, permissions. In uh, the letters of Peter, he talks about women who have been abandoned by their unbelieving husbands. And in those cases, he says that it is, it is permitted to divorce and to uh, seek a new husband. Women in these days, they were essentially property. This, this culture had a low view of marriage. They also viewed marriage lowly. They thought of marriage as, well, that's where you have children. You have children with your wife. That's, your wife is for procreation. But then typically you would have either servants or prostitutes, concubines, who would take care of physical desire. You would, you would go and have the emotional connection with but not your wife. Your wife was for bearing children. But Jesus viewed it differently. Jesus taught us to cherish husbands and wives. Jesus taught us to love our spouse, to pursue all of those things with one person, just the spouse. So Jesus was teaching that the lowest of the low, in this culture, the least of these was women. And Jesus was teaching to love and respect them and care for them. If a woman had been divorced, well, she likely had no prospect of any, any sort of future, any sort of life. Likely had no way of making money. So she would turn to prostitution. This is a protection for women. And again, going back to what Jesus said in verse 35, of chapter 9, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus is teaching about who is the least of these and how they are viewed in the kingdom. So in the cases of infidelity or abandonment, and I would even say what is implied in Scripture would be abuse as well, then Jesus permits divorce. But just because your intern looks a lot better than your wife, just because those warm, fuzzy feelings have gone away does not permit divorce. Does not 
support divorce in that case. Does not allow for it. Seek your spouse. There will be things pulling you away, trying to draw your attention. Today, you don't have to go out looking for some sort of temptation. It'll find you. Love your spouse. Seek your spouse. Do not seek anyone other than your wife or your husband. And even in that, though, even in infidelity, remember, this is permitted, not endorsed. Look back to Hosea. Hosea's wife went back into prostitution. Yet he bought her out and showed her love and affection even in her sin. Even a, a tarnished marriage bed can be renewed. God makes all things new. Even in that time, God can restore God can restore the relationship. Here it's not that God is unable to fix certain wrongs. He says it is because of the hardness of your heart. There is nothing that should tear apart a marriage. Nothing that should break it. But, by the same token, that means that you ought to not go and do something that would fit in these categories. You ought not to pursue something that would tarnish the marriage bed. You ought not to go after something that is against God and against your spouse. Forgiveness for your spouse and pursuing them over anyone else. Pursuing them and pursuing their goodness, their love, their affection, them and them alone. Now, I will say, I am not naive. I'm not unaware. I know that there is there's divorce represented in this room. There are people who have been divorced, and it is a very sensitive topic. It is a very sensitive subject. This is not a passage that in Bible college I was thinking, man, I just can't wait to preach on this. But, even in these times, even in divorce, God has mercy. You cannot go far enough to get away from God's mercy. Jesus, as He was walking this earth, met a woman who had been married multiple times and divorced multiple times and was in an adulterous situation when, when Jesus met her. And yet He had mercy and forgiveness on her. He had mercy and forgiveness to give to her. If you have divorced, you have divorced and remarried, seek the Lord. Repent. Do not leave your current spouse to try and make amends. Two, two wrongs do not make a right. But seek the Lord and devote yourself. If you are remarried, devote yourself and your spouse to God. God can make all things new. And He will forgive whatever we have committed against Him. Jesus says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be forgiven. Anyone who comes to Him will be forgiven. So let us not fall into shame. Let us not fall into the lie that 
we have gone too far for God. Let us turn to him, repent, seek him. Now this next passage, Jesus turns his attention to children. Verses 13 through 16, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. You know, marriage marriage is what God has created for children. The proper way to raise a child is with a husband and wife who love one another, care for one another, put each other first, love the Lord and their spouse, and raise their child up in that environment. There is an epidemic today of children being raised in households with one parent. Maybe they've, they're raised with both parents, but at different times. One, you know, one weekend with one parent, one weekend with another. The damage that does to a child is, it, it, it is indescribable. Now certainly there are children who are raised in broken homes who grow up to be wonderful believers, wonderful Christians, and grow up to serve the Lord and be very successful in life. But that is not the way God has intended things. That is God using bad circumstances, evil, for good. That is not God saying, well, raise them in different households and that way they can grow up to be tougher. That is God showing His grace and mercy. The way that God has designated for children to be raised with a father and mother. It is not irony that Jesus talks about children right after talking about marriage and divorce. Now again, going back to the last chapter where Jesus says that the least, or if you want to be the best of all, be the least of all. Verse 35 of chapter 9, uh, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Children held no, uh, really no value in society in these days. Your firstborn son, you would pass on your, your name, your work, your possessions to. But you did not have some sort of children's church going on. You didn't have any uh, DCF, Department of Children and Family. You didn't have anyone looking out for them. Children were considered property. Children were considered property and oftentimes were sold into slavery because they were not worth anything. But Jesus, again, shifts that. He shifts the paradigm. They brought little children to him that he might touch them. When he would bless somebody, he would touch them and bless them. And the disciples rebuked them. Jesus has stuff going on. He doesn't need to be dealing with your children. You take care of them. He has real issues, not them. But Jesus instead shifts it. And he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Again, if these children are the least of society, if they are the 
worthless in society, well then, Jesus is saying, make yourself the least. Have a childlike faith. Do not be caught up in your own pride. Seek the Lord as a child. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus cares about children. And if you are married, if you have children, pursue your marriage. You want to set a good example for your kids, your grandkids? Pursue one another. Do you want to do as Jesus did here and care for his care for these kids? Exalt them over the disciples and over their parents? Do you want to love your children and grandchildren well? Love your spouse. Put your spouse first. Only behind your pursuit of Jesus. Do you want to set a good example in the home? Love your spouse. Do you want to have a happy marriage? Love your spouse. Do you want to pursue Christ in the home? To love Him and care for Him? To pursue His wisdom, His goodness? Love your spouse. Now for those of you that are not married, this still sets a wonderful precedence. Those of you that are not married, you may not end up married. There are a lot of people that do not end married. And marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. At least not marriage on this earth. Again, the best marriage you will see on this earth, it points to what is to come. To pursue Christ may mean that you live like Paul and don't have a spouse. But one day in eternity, you will be part of the bride of Christ. And you will see perfect marriage. So whether you are married or are not married, look unto Christ. Look unto Him and His goodness. Seek Him above all other things. Again, today... We look around. I look around this room and see people who I want to emulate in marriage. I see marriages that have lasted for decades, and I, I think, man, I cannot wait to be you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road with Kelsey by my side and looking back on it and being where y'all have been. But even the best marriages are a figment, a, just a tiny, tiny piece, a tiny portion of what one day will come. The marriage of the Lamb. Today we see a picture of what's to come, but it's tainted by sin. So look ahead. Look to Jesus. Look to His marriage. And for those of you that have maybe struggle with the idea of God as a father, there are many people who struggle with that idea that God is a Father, our Heavenly Father. Many people, when they think of their Father, they think of a mean man, a cold man. Maybe they think of an abusive man. That is, again, a tainted image. A Father is supposed to be loving and caring and representing Christ in the household. 
but many times that is distorted by sin. We have a Father who is not distorted by sin. There is a husband who is not selfish, prideful, abusive. There is a father who is not selfish and angry and and lashing out. There is a good father and there is a good bridegroom. And that is what we have to look forward to. So let us pray. Father God, I thank You for the household. That You have created the household to be a representation of Your kingdom, to represent Your glory and Your love. God, I pray we would be committed and devoted to You. That each and every one here would seek out You, Your goodness, Your word, Your love and Your mercy beyond anything else. And that in our homes, whether as a a child, a brother, a sister, a parent, a spouse, that we would represent You well. God, that we would submit to one another in love. That we care for one another in love. That we would pursue accountability in love. God, that we would be marked by love. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.